Just, I can't. And I get to a point where I, I basically, I give up and I say, I don't know what to do. And so we decide, man, maybe I'll call my dad, see if he's got any ideas. We call my dad, I let him know that, you know, one of the screen doors is a little ajar. I can stick my hand in, but it's being blocked by something. So he goes through and he acquires um, certain political billboards with the long wire, like the long wire holdings that keep them up. We build a little, we build a little mechanism, stick it in the window, we pull it out. Long story short, we made it in. I'm hoping the, the homeowners association doesn't call my friend in London. But, you know, there was a point where we ha I had to decide, I had to give up. I had to stop trying to do things my way and I had to just take a moment and say like, what, how can someone help me? You know, and, and I'm not saying that God sent me here. I'm not saying that I'm like God sent and uh, you know, I'm here to, to preach all these things, but, but God wanted me to be here tonight and he wouldn't let that, he wouldn't let his plan stop. But one of the things that we have to realize about God's plan is that we have to be willed to it. We have to give up and understand that we need to do it. And that brings us to Joshua uh, chapter 18. And I'll read the first couple of verses. Verse 1, And the whole assembly of Israel, uh, of the Israelites gathered at Shiloh and set up the tent of meeting there. And the country was brought under their control. But there were still seven Israelite tribes who had not yet received their inheritance. So Joshua said to the Israelites, How long will you wait before you take possession of the land that the Lord the God of your fathers has given you. We see here that through the course, God has already told them the land is theirs. He's already promised it to them. It's all theirs. But there's still these seven outliers that are just haven't really taken it yet. You know, um, I went through and I, I looked at the definitions. Ownership means that you have the right to something. But possession is a state of being. To possess something, you actually have to be Verbally, you have to commit a verb. You have to actually be owning it. So these people had the land. It was in their name. God had given it to them. If they had, if you know, God sent a deed from heaven, it had their name on it, ready to go. But they still hadn't taken possession of it. They still hadn't actively started using it. And I think for me personally, the last couple of years, I've always had the deed. I always had it. God gave me salvation. We, we go through the Bible and we see uh, Galatians 4, that we all have a rightful inheritance in heaven. We see that John, John 1, Romans 8, we're all sons and daughters of God. We're all part of this relationship with God. We see um, in 1 Corinthians, 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 1, we're endowed with the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, we have the fruits of the Spirit. Um, we're justified and redeemed in 2 Corinthians 5. And in all these places, we're, we're told of all these things that were given to, were given to us because of the salvation, but sometimes we don't always possess it. We own it, we have it, it's ready to go, but we're not actively in that possession. And I think for me, I had to make a decision at the age of 19, at the age of 18, that I was tired of just owning this and just having a right to it, having the ability to do so, and it was time for me to just take it and to use it. And I'm not saying it's something crazy that by the age of 20 I was, I was, I was number one in everything and I was able to go around and preach the word. You know, it's, 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 a, it's a process. But we ha I had to stop doing what I wanted to do. I had to stop trying to see what I wanted to do. How can I do it? How can I do it better? What can I? And I had to say, I can't do it. And I had to say, it's time for me to use what God has given me to do his plan, to do his will. God's plan's gonna go with, with or without me. It's a train, and if I'm on the train, great. If I'm off the train, it's gonna keep going. You know, it's not gonna stop for me. But it's time, it's time, it was time for me to do so. It was time for me to jump on that train and be ready to do so. And that's kind of what I wanted to talk about tonight. It's kind of what I just wanted to, to bring up, you know, saved at a young age, it's great. 
but it took me some time to finally start exercising that, to finally start walking through it. And I, I would pray for the people here. You know, first of all, if you haven't accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, he's, he's, he's waiting for you. We see through the Gospels, you know, Jesus Christ, he gave his life for us. He lived under the law, completed it. He gave his life for you, died on the cross three days later, was resurrected, showed that he had power over all things. You know, and, he, and, and we have all these stories of what he's done, the miracles, everything that he has power. I feel like nowadays people can't dispute what Jesus Christ has done, so they try to dispute the evidence. You know, it's all there. But I pray that also for those of us who have made that decision, who we have come together, we've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, that we, that we really do look at what we have, what's been given to us. That we take the time to see what can we take from God, what can we use from God, and use it for his will. You know, join, join, join up on the train, jump up on the train, do whatever God has asked us to do. But I pray that we really take the time to see what we can do in God's plan, what we can do to jump on and, and do what God wants us to do. And so, you know, I pray that we are able to do this. And I pray that um, we really kind of start taking possession of all these things. Thank you. Grand opening, grand closing. <clears throat> Me and Sammy have been friends for uh, quite a while now. Uh, we served together up at camp. I, I was uh, part of one of those uh, summer summers up at camp, and uh, we were both dorm buddies. And uh, I have very many camp memories, and I would say Sammy has been a very big part of many of those. Uh, Sammy's been a very big blessing to me and my family. Um, but what I'd like to speak on tonight is actually very similar to uh, some things that Sammy has said. He said, the Lord has a plan for us, but we have to be willing. And so that's something that I would like to talk about um, this evening. Please turn with me to Luke chapter 9. Uh, Luke chapter 9. Uh, one thing I've been going over for myself is when the Lord Jesus told his followers, follow me. Follow me. And if you recall last time I spoke, I spoke on what it means to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow Christ. And we'd like to continue that message here. There are multiple times in Scripture in the Gospels where it records the Lord Jesus walking on a path, surrounded by multiple people, multitudes of people, and as he's going, with thousands of people behind him, following him for hours at a time, he would turn around and say, follow me. And you say, well, they're already following him. Why would he command them to follow him again? I think one thing that benefited me as I was looking at these is we see that as Christ is walking on a path with multitudes of people behind him, and as he would turn around and say, follow me, he wasn't talking about following me because I want your company. He wasn't after the, the numbers of people following him. He wanted their hearts. He said, follow me. Once I have your heart, I can do really whatever I want, but follow me. And oftentimes, we'll, we'll look at these big mega churches, and they have thousands and thousands of people every Sunday. Not only that, but outside their church, they have a school where thousands and thousands of kids can be enrolled in throughout the whole year. And we look at those churches, and we say, man, they got it right. They're doing something that we're not doing, and they have it right. And we pray that they are. We pray that God is being glorified there. But we see here that the Lord Jesus, despite the thousands and thousands of people that he had following him, he didn't want the numbers. He wanted their hearts. And so that's what we'd like to look at this morning. Um, so here we are in, in Luke chapter 9. 
we're going to look at the cost of following Christ, the cost of following Christ. I've entitled this message, Christ is Lord of Our Lives. Um, and one thing I'd like to point out is the points we make tonight are, are not prerequisites for salvation. The Lord doesn't say, listen, if you want to be saved, you will give me your heart and you will follow me. We know that that's not biblical at all. But I would be so bold to say that what we are going to go over tonight is what the Lord desires from each and every one of us and each and every one of his children. So here we are in Luke chapter 9. Um, we're going to start our reading. We'll just read one verse for a second in, in Luke chapter 9 and verse 51 for context. And it says in verse 51, Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be, to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. We see here that for years now, the Lord Jesus has been ministering to these people. He's been healing them, casting out demons. He's been giving out these great messages. And it, the time has finally come where he, he, turns, he literally turns around to Jerusalem and he starts heading there. He starts heading there and it is there where he will be arrested and he will lay down his life for us. And so with that in mind, uh, drop down to verse 57. Here the Lord Jesus is. This, this event is also recorded in Matthew chapter 8, and so I'll be referring to details there. Uh, in Matthew chapter 8, we see that he's actually surrounded by uh, quite a few people, uh, quite a big uh, multitude of people. And in uh, Luke chapter 9 and verse 57, it says, Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. So once again, um, Christ is Lord of our lives. We're going to be looking at these three men that the Lord Jesus turns to and says, Follow me. These three men have uh, two things in common. Uh, they all address the Lord Jesus Christ with the same word, and that is Lord, his rightful title. The second is that they all desire to follow him, but perhaps they aren't willing to pay the cost of what it means to truly follow him. We see that in this chapter, the Lord Jesus sends out the 12 disciples and has them heal a lot of people, cast out demons. We see in this chapter, the Lord Jesus also feeds 5,000 men, not including their women and children. And so we see the Lord doing all of these great things. And you can imagine that all these people following him, perhaps a great majority of them just want to, just want to see a show. They just... They just want to see, they've been hearing stories of this man, Jesus, and he fed thousands and thousands of people with just a few loaves and a couple fishes. I want, to, I want to see what this guy can really do. I want to witness this. So perhaps these men are following him because they want to see a show. Um, so he turns to this first man, and in Matthew's account of this, we actually see that this man was a scribe. Uh, he was a town clerk or a secretary. And we see that he comes up to the Lord Jesus Christ and has something very bold to say. He says, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Once again, the Lord Jesus has turned to Jerusalem. Perhaps they don't know what, where, where he's heading or why he's heading there. But he says, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you want to go. And we, we see that the Lord Jesus doesn't say, awesome, 
Just, just get behind me and follow the leader. Welcome aboard. But he, he says, wait a second, do you really want to follow me? And he lays down the cost of what it means to follow him. And he says in verse 58, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. The son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Um, before we dig any deeper into this, let's just think about the Lord Jesus Christ and who he was saying this, the very creator of all things. And yet when he came down, he had nowhere to rest his head. You can imagine that him and his disciples, as they went from town to town, they would rest underneath the stars. And as the Lord Jesus was laying there, he could look up and would be able to call out all the stars by name because he was the one that placed them there. And yet it was this man who created all things, yet he had nowhere to rest his head. He came into his own and his own received him not. Uh, when I was thinking about this, uh, I thought of 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And how poor the Lord Jesus became for us, that he would leave the glories of heaven behind to come as a man, and as he came as a man, he would have nowhere to rest his head. So as we continue, we see that the Lord Jesus uses two examples, the foxes in their holes and the birds in their nests. I think, well, what does that mean? What does that represent? I think they, they both represent a dwelling place. Uh, we know that the foxes would live in the holes, the birds would live in their nests. But the fox's hole, I think, speaks to us of security. Whenever a fox feels in danger, he would run off to his hole and he would hide there until the danger has passed by. We think of the birds in the nests and uh, we think of that speaking of comfort. Um, in Psalm 84 and verse three, it says, even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself. So the nest speaks to us of comfort, speaks to us of home. And the Lord Jesus says, listen, if you really want to follow me, you're not going to have that security that the foxes enjoy. You're not going to have that comfort of home that the birds of the air enjoy. I have nowhere to rest my head. In fact, if you decide to follow me, people have hated me in some places I've, I've been. People have wanted to stone me in certain places. You won't have that security. You won't have that comfort of home. Um, when I um, got out of junior high and I was in high school, I started thinking about what I wanted to do. And the goal was I want to be a firefighter. I want to be a firefighter because, uh, well, when, when I was younger, we lived in Oak Hills and there were, there were um, big trees and you had to trim them up because for fire codes and all of these things. And so my dad would trim them up and and we would burn them. You'd get a permit to burn them, and you'd burn them in an open field. And so I'd help him drag, and you know, I'd throw these branches on the fire, and it was so much fun. You know, you imagine a 10-year-old boy burning trees. I mean, this was the coolest thing ever. And afterwards, we got to spray it down, and it was just the coolest thing. And so I thought, I want to be a firefighter, because that would be so much fun. Uh, not only that, but uh, you get paid pretty well. Uh, if, if I got that, I'd have great benefits. I'd be able to get married, have a family. Uh, we'd, ha we'd be comfortable. That was my, one of my favorite words. We'd be comfortable. We wouldn't have to, to worry about finances because that would all be taken care of. We'd be comfortable. And I realized as I started thinking about these things is the Christian is not called to live a comfortable life. In fact, we are called to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And if following him means he, him going from place to place, 
without anywhere to even rest his head. He lived a very uncomfortable life. And yet so many, so many of us, including myself, for so many years, waste so much time striving for comfort in this life. I want to be comfortable. I want that house. I want that car. I just I want to be comfortable with no worries. And I'm not saying that if we do choose to, to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, that he'll, he'll call us to sell our house and to sell our car. And perhaps you shouldn't be a firefighter. That's not what I'm saying. If the Lord calls you to be a firefighter, praise the Lord. If the Lord calls you and, and gives you all of these riches in this world, praise the Lord. But we shouldn't be consumed by a pursuit of comfort in this life. So we see that the, that the follower of Christ, his ultimate goal is Christ, is to pursue Christ even over the comforts of this life. We shouldn't pursue comforts of this life. I think so many Christians will, will get to the end of the road and they'll realize, man, if I could just go back and redo some of my life, I wouldn't have spent so much time doing this. I wouldn't have spent so much time pursuing this bigger paycheck and so on. And so we shouldn't pursue the comforts of this life. Uh, he turns to the next man. And we see in Matthew, uh, Matthew's account of this that this was actually one of his disciples. And when we think of uh, disciples, we often think of one of the 12. But we know in John chapter 6, we read that the Lord Jesus actually had many disciples outside of the 12. And so whether or not it was one of his 12, we don't know. But he says in verse 59, then he, then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. A very simple wish. Lord, I'll follow you, but let me first bury my father. And in society today, there are very few things that would hinder people from going to the burial of their father. In fact, I've heard of, of so many people who grew up hating their father, whether he was abusive, whether he was just uh, not a nice man, whatever the case was, they grew up hating their father. And yet when he passes away, I've heard of people making the effort to be there when he's buried, to be there at his memorial. There are very few things in society that would hinder us from going to bury our father, and yet in the Lord's mind, that wasn't a good enough reason. That wasn't a good enough reason to not follow him. He says, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Something so much more important is at hand. Let, let, let that worry about itself. You go and preach the kingdom of God. One thing that I've been convicted of personally recently is how often I place my family before I place the things of the Lord. Um, it seems like every week we have a birthday to celebrate. Uh, and perhaps it's because we celebrate every birthday four times, you know. Uh, one person wasn't there, so we have to get together this Sunday and uh, celebrate it because he's turned seven, you know. It's crazy. My, my cousin turned 10, and it seemed like we celebrated his birthday four times, and I'm not exaggerating, but uh, so often I place all of these family events before things of the Lord, uh, whether it be going to prayer meeting, whether it be coming out to night meeting, whatever the case is, so often we place our family events before the Lord. And family is very important, don't get me wrong. The Lord's placed family in our life, and we ought to love one another and care for one another. But we ought not to place these things before the Lord. This man had a very simple request. Let me bury my father. And if that reason wasn't good enough for the Lord Jesus, what, what reason could we possibly think of today that would be good enough? Let me first go bury my father. 
So we see that the follower of Christ is dedicated primarily to Christ. Uh, Yes, he has family. Yes, he has priorities. But we see that Christ is preeminent over all of those things. Once again, we see Christ was not after the numbers. Like so many men today, they're after the numbers. Um, Young people today on Instagram and Facebook, one thing they check every day is how many followers they have, how many friends they have. It's, It's crazy. They'll, they'll, they'll request people they don't even know just so that they can get their number up. It's, it's ridiculous. But Christ wasn't after the, the numbers. He was after the hearts. And that's what he's after today in our life. So Christ, Lord. Christ is Lord in our life. Uh, and yet he turns to the third man. We don't know exactly uh, who this man was. Uh, Luke is the only one who records this incident with this man. And it says in verse 61, And another also said, Lord, I will follow you. But let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. A simple request, Lord, I'll follow you, but let me first say goodbye. Imagine if this man was married. Imagine if this man had kids. Lord, let me me just say goodbye. Let me just kiss my baby Max goodbye, whatever the case is. And the Lord Jesus says, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. So we see that the Lord Jesus using this example of a plow. Now, Mr. Dixon, um, he has family back in Iowa, and they have have a few pigs, and they they grow a lot of corn. And he was telling us of how they they, they harvest this corn. And it's this huge machine, and uh, you don't even really need a driver in it, although uh, the driver, all he does is turns it around because it's operated by GPS. And so things today are, are very, very easy. All you have to do is turn it around. It's ridiculous. But for them, at this time, it, it wasn't so simple. What they had to do is when they plowed the field, they had to look at an object that wouldn't move. And Robert told me this. Uh, you have to look at an object that wouldn't move that was in path with their field. And they would look at that object as they plowed it, and they would focus, and they would, they would press on towards that mark. Because otherwise, they would look back and their, their row was crooked, uh, whatever the case was. And so, in the Christian life, we have to look forward. We have to look forward. In fact, um, let's see, in uh, Hebrews 12, a very, very familiar verse, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily, easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of God. The key to that is looking unto Jesus. He's our mark and he's our goal. And we need to press on with him as our focus. Um, And there's a lot in the Bible of those who didn't look forward. We think of Lot's wife. Uh, The angel of the Lord appears to them and says, listen, the Lord's gonna destroy the city Lot gets you and your wife out of here and don't look back. Well, we see Lot, Lot's wife, she makes it out, but then she looks back. And the Lord turns her into a pillar of salt. We think of Peter as he was walking on the water. He would focus on Christ for a moment, but then he'd take his eyes off of him. And it was then when he began to sink. The Lord Jesus calls us to press forward, to, to, to have Christ as our mark, and we need to look unto him. Uh, but this man had a very simple request. Lord, just let me say goodbye to my family. Let me kiss my family goodbye. But in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 37, it says, he who, loves my father, or he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me 
is not worthy of me. We see that the Lord requires us, if, if we are to truly follow the Lord Jesus Christ, that he needs to be our first love. And we see that the true follower of Christ has lo- loves the Lord Jesus Christ primarily. Yes, he has his family. And yes, he loves them. But Christ is his love. And he's going to press on. He's going to look unto him. Um, and so we saw that the, all three of these men, they address the Lord with using this, the same word, and that is Lord. Um, that word, if you look it up, it means a supreme in authority. They had it right. Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. They had it right, but they had one problem. They used the word but. But let me first. Um, but let me first. And so many Christians... They own the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, but they never know him as their Lord. And the Lord Jesus Christ, he didn't buy us with his blood so that we could simply be saved. And praise the Lord that he did. But he really desires so much more from us that we would live for him. Um, And so what is it this evening that we place before Christ in our life? I've talked to so many people that genuinely have the desire to follow the Lord but they're not willing to do it now. And when we give the gospel to people, we'll say, listen, today is the day of salvation, but tomorrow is not guaranteed. And yet us Christians, we live as if we're going to live to be 100. And so many Christians, they'll say, Lord, I'll follow you, but let me first finish college. Let me first get married. Let me first have kids. and let let, Let my life just slow down, and then I'll follow you then. And we live our life in light of 8, 10, 20 years from now when the Lord doesn't guarantee that for us. All we have is today. And so what is it that we place before the Lord Jesus? What is it that we want to accomplish in our life before we truly pursue and follow the Lord Jesus Christ in our life? Um, And one thing I've struggled with is it's just so easy. It's so easy for us to just keep keep doing what we're doing. We've been, doing, we've been living this way for, for years, and I'm not a bad person. You know, I don't do bad things, but I'm not completely sold out for the Lord. And that's something I've struggled with for, for quite a while now. But I think for me, it's time to, to, time to make the change. It's so easy, though, to just keep on going the same way, to keep on doing whatever throughout the week as long as I'm here on Sunday as long as I maybe think about going to prayer meeting, that's okay. You know, I kind of made an effort. But Christ gave up everything for us, and we ought to be willing to do the same for him. So let us be encouraged to place Christ first in our life, to not say, Lord, let me first. Uh, I was looking at the hymn, Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Make 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 that your prayer this evening. And so we'll, we'll close a little early. Um, longer fellowship, put it that way. Uh, let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, truly we are so thankful for the time that you've given us to hear, uh, truly of your saving grace. Father, to think of how uh, your plan of salvation is so simple that all it takes is childlike faith. Father, we thank you that you do not require anything more of us because honestly, Lord, we cannot handle anything more. Father, we thank you that truly your son paid it all on the cross for us. We thank you, Lord, that 
truly, he left everything behind to save us. Father, we're truly so unworthy of your son. We're truly unworthy of your love and of your grace. But fathers, we consider all that your son gave up for us. Oh, may it encourage us to do the same for you. Father, we love you, Lord, but we know that love is a word of action. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would help us to act upon our love for you. Father, we thank you that uh, we can call you Father because of all that your Son has done for us. So, Father, may you help us to place you first in our life, that we would desire to truly follow you and you alone. And it's in your Son's name we pray. Amen.